Today we're going to be in Joshua 8. We saw in chapter 7, the last time, the defeat at Ai. We saw there was sin in the camp. We were introduced to a character named Achan. And we also talked about the Achans in our lives that need to be rooted out. Trouble in our lives is not always related to sin, as was the case with Job. Remember his three friends, uh, after comforting him, they pretty much accused him of having his house not in order, and that's why he was having so much trouble. However, sometimes persistent sin is the cause of our trouble. Psalm 66:18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Tonight, we're going to see that the sin was purged, no more aching. This is a picture of repentance, removal of sin, and success with God when sin is removed. This is a great lesson. Once repentance happens, it's a clean slate, no matter what you did. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. What's interesting is if you go back to Joshua 6, 2, it's very similar. Before Jericho's battle, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. So we're starting off on the right foot here, post-repentance. Now, there was a, um, a commercial for a, a restoration company, fire and water damage. And they show reverse photography, you know, the, the, the house, you know, there's burning, there's smoke on the, on the carpets, water damage. And they show reverse photography, how it, it, it just gets removed like it never happened. And that's the quote that they use for their commercials, like it never happened. Well, I think about that when it comes to repentance. Once we repent, we change our direction, we change our hearts, we repent of our sin. God looks at our sin like it never happened. We're clean. So the children of Israel may be still smarting after their defeat, but God looks at it like it never happened. This can never be overstated. What happens after repentance? Well, if we looked at Israel, God said, If you follow me, if you walk in my ways, if you love me, if you have a relationship with me, things will go well with you. However, if you go after other gods, if you sin, if you rebel, uh, things won't go so well for you as a nation. And what's interesting is that uh, even when they did mess up and they repented, God took them back like it never happened. Same thing with believers. In the New Testament, in, in our day and age, it's a personal relationship with God. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Same thing. What did you do in your past? Did you repent? What did you do last week? What did you do today? Did you repent? If the answer is yes, I don't know how God does it, but not only does he forgive, but he also forgets never to hold it against you again. Now, in marriage, I kind of I look at it too. It's a good practice no matter how much your spouse gets on your nerves. Um, of course, my wife doesn't have that problem because I'm the easiest person to live with. I am, after all, the senior pastor. That's a joke. But uh, I remember counseling a couple uh, last week my wife and I uh, counseled a young couple and we spoke to the wife we spoke to the husband and we talked to them about what they needed to do and we suggested to the two of them that they it's a simple thing that I use I, I say to them hit the reset button 
from this point on, hit the reset button. Don't forget, don't remember what she did. Don't remember what he, what he did. But take the information now that you have, the tools that you have, and make your marriage better. Don't dwell on the past. Keep starting over. Otherwise, you build up bitterness in your hearts towards each other. Verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So you have a change of plans here. <laughs> Instead of in Jericho where the spoils of war went to God, here the spoils of war are supposed to go to the people. And the question is why? Well, I think this is a picture of first fruits. Always giving God first. The first fruits of your uh, your labors, of your life, and then you give to yourself. It's, a, it's just a smart practice to get into. Uh, first God, then you. The first fruits of the crop in the Old Testament were given to God. Even the last fruits, if you think about it, were given to God. And what, how do I say that? What do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, they had the laws of the gleaning. If you had a, a piece of property, you had a, a crop, a field, you could... You give your first fruits to God, then you would take for you and your family and whatever, maybe to sell. But there was also a portion, a percentage at the end that you were not supposed to harvest. You left it lying there so that the poor people could come in and take their share. So if you think about it, you give your first fruits to God and you give your last fruits to God too. You own nothing. Psalm 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. If you des If you think you deserve anything in this life, then you can divide your spoils with Achan. And the question is, what are we holding on to in our life that we think is ours, that we don't want to let, let go of and give it to God? Verse 3. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor and sent them away by night. This is a much different plan than before. Uh, remember in Jericho, the plan was to march around the city and uh, here, the plan is to lay an ambush. Different plan that God gave. Uh, if you saw before, 3,000 were taken up to go against Ai. Here God says, take 30,000. So there's no formula for following God. I think that's how we can really look at this and trans transfer it into our own lives. There's no formula for a relationship with him and how we're to run our lives. Because if you think about it, a formula is, a, is the antithesis of a relationship. I bring it back to marriage again. I think there's a lot of good lessons here between uh, our relationship with our Lord, our God, and our relationship with our spouses. If you do the same thing over and over again, it just becomes kind of rote, ritualistic, uh, even in a marriage. And there's no relationship. You, you, you just try to put out a formula because it's easy to do, something you could easily remember, and there's, there's, you, you don't have that, that fire between you, each other. And it's the same thing with God. You know, People have all these formulas of how to... Even people write books on, on formulas of how to get the best blessings from God. It's like trying to get something out of them. It's really a two-way street, though, if you think about it. It's not a formula. Okay. Verse 4. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city... And it will come about when they come out against us at the first that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as at the first. 
Therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be, it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set fire to the city, according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. What stands out here and amazes me is the strategy again. Um, to start with, you have the army splits into two divisions. You have your north division and your west division. The north division is to draw out the inhabitants of Ai, then the west division comes in to burn the city. Many, take, many times we take God's commission as, ah, whatever, you know, well, I'll just kind of go with the flow, you know, take it as it comes. But God is a God of order. It's not whatever, I'll go here and go there and see what the Lord does. God directs us, and we need to be open to that direction. Verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush, and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Ai, if you look at a map, is about 12 miles west of Jericho, but it's about two miles east of Bethel, which, you know, depending on the terrain, you could probably see Bethel from Ai. So this is something to keep in mind. You have the western division pretty much sandwiched between Bethel and Ai, and you'll see how that comes into play. Verse 10. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went in that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hastened and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and drawn, were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or... Bethel, who did not go out after Israel, so they left the city open and pursued Israel. This is a very meticulous plan to be carried out to the letter. And what I see here is that God's vision needs to be fulfilled by us. Don't leave it half done. There was a story in the Old Testament, uh, I believe it was Second Kings, about you got the prophet Elisha and King Joash of Israel. And at the time, you know, they're having trouble with the Syrians, their Syrian neighbors. And uh, Elisha comes to Joash, the prophet comes to the king and says, you know, you got to stretch out, you got to take your bow and put your arrow into the bow and, and draw back and shoot it out the window. And it, it's symbolic of you striking Syria. Go ahead and do it. So Joash takes the bow, takes the arrow, and he pulls back and shoots one arrow out of the window, two arrows out, three arrows out, and then he's done. He puts the bow down, puts the arrows down. And Elisha was furious with him. He goes, he said to him, Now because you have done this, this is foolishness. You should have struck, you should have at least five or six arrows should have come out of that, that bow. Just keep going. But because you have been foolish and you have, you know, he wasn't, 
ambitious. He wasn't um, zealous for, for what God's uh, plan was for him to strike the Syrians. Because of that, you will only strike the Syrians three times. And, of course, because of that, he didn't completely decimate the, the Syrians. And what that did was that had an effect on his subjects, on his people. Uh, loss of lives, loss of lives in the military, more problems with the Syrians and Israel. So you see a little thing like that, a little thing with diligence, with completing God's plan to the letter and not doing that, how it can really cost you later on. Now the Bethelites, which is very interesting, went after Israel also. It doesn't say much about the Bethelites afterwards, but we can only assume if they were also drawn out of their city, uh, and the, the men from Ai were drawn out of their city, and they all went after Israel, uh, no doubt the Bethelites were slaughtered also. Uh, when later referring to Ai, it may encompass the Bethelites, because they were so close together. Again, Bethel is not really mentioned anymore in Joshua's conquest, and we find out later in Scripture that Bethel is later inhabited by the Ephraimites and the Simeonites, who were, of course, Israeli and not pagan. So we, again, can understand that the Bethelites met with the same demise as Ai. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. This reminds me of is uh, Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16, when Moses was at war, uh, Moses was in the war as a leader uh, with the Amalekites, and Joshua was actually fighting the battle. Aaron and Hur had to raise Moses' arm. Moses had a staff in his hand. And as long as Aaron and Hur had Moses' arms raised, of course, God you know, basically told them that as long as your hands are raised, that the Israelites will win. Now, I'm sure it was a long battle, and it was probably hard to keep his arms up. So what happened was Aaron and Hur got on each side and lifted his arms. So as long as Moses' arms were raised, Joshua was, was prevailing in the battle. And this is symbolic. What about us? Stretching out our spears? What is it in our life that we need to point our spear, or in the case of Moses, our rod toward, and keep our arms up? It reminds me of when I was in the police academy, oh, 15 years ago. And uh, one of the things the instructors had us do, because they loved to torture us and find new ways to torture us, and this one wasn't so bad, they you know, didn't waterboard us or anything, but that's a joke. What they did was they, uh, they had us stand in a formation, and there was about 40 of us, and they wanted us to keep our arms out at our sides. So nothing in our hands, just to put our arms out so we would make like a T figure, uh, to keep our arms parallel with the ground. And there was about 40 of us, and uh, you'd be surprised. Try it one time. One minute's okay, two minutes. After two minutes, your arms start to get tired, your shoulders, and you want to drop them. Some recruits were in much better shape than I was, but I wanted to do my personal best, and I ended up being the last person with my arms up. But again, there's a symbolism here. When it comes to battles in our lives, how often are we just tempted to put our arms down and not win the battle? We find it much easier to do physical work than fighting some of the spiritual battles. I find that too. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're physical people. We're, we have physical bodies, and sometimes it's just a lot easier to do things physically uh, than to actually fight those spiritual battles. But think about this passage when you feel that way. If you could just raise that spear for another minute, if you could just hang in there a little longer until the last of the enemy is defeated, 
If you could just wait, just pray a little longer, be in the Word a little longer, be patient a little longer, trust God a little longer, and uh, see what He does, see how He uh, wins the battlefield. Uh, and what's you know, I look at Moses had to have his arms held up, but Joshua did it himself. Um, you know, it's something you can probably look into that. Uh, so, verse 19. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, and hastened to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. What do we see here? Total submission to God, resulting in total annihilation of the enemy, resulting in total victory. That's the formula and it starts with total submission and obedience to God. Verse 24. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they had pursued them and when they had all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day both men and women were 12,000 the people all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Okay, what well, we see something that's just a little interesting to note. In Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, he says that cursed, basically cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And of course, that's why so many Jewish people stumble at the cross. Well, if Jesus was the Messiah, how could he be accursed by God? Because according to Deuteronomy, He's accursed. He was supposed to be our conquering Messiah. What's up with that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And what we have to realize is in Daniel chapter 9, it says that he will be cut off, but not for himself. It was because of us. It was because of our sin. You know, they have trouble with the fact that he, he bore the shame and was accursed by God, but of course he did it as a, tri a propitiation, as a sacrifice. Uh, and all the guilt and the shame was not his, it was ours. It was put on him on the cross. Interesting thing to note. Here Ai, the king of Ai, uh, was accursed and hung on a tree because of his own sins. Jesus was hung on a tree because of our sins. And also, uh, the reward for obedience in this story is the victory and the spoils. The heap of stones. The children of Israel were, apparently, in, in this section of scripture, were very big with this heap of stones thing. Uh, standing some distance from Achan's heap was King Ai's heap. Each heap represented something different, though. One, the effects of sin. 
in in, a in Aiken's case, uh, it was a memorial. It was a marker. Hey, <laughs> every time you saw those heap of stones, you knew about Aiken, and you knew what happened and the heartache and the children of Israel in the camp because of Aiken's sins. And two, with uh, the king of Ai, his heap of, of stones represented uh, repentance. Not his, but for the children of Israel. They were, they were defeat. They were able to defeat the people of Ai and the people of Bethel because of their obedience and their repentance. And we see a lot of different heaps of stones and what they mean. We saw even before Achan and um, uh, the king of Ai, we saw crossing the Jordan and in the Jordan two other st heaps of stones and what they memorialized. But I guess the question is, which heap do you want to be a part of? Which one do you want to stand in? The one that's, that uh, um, marks the effects of sin or the one that marks the effects of repentance? I know where I want to be. But these markers can be very important in our lives. A signal of warning, danger, hey, don't go there. And these markers were important because... Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, God the Father was very active in the miracles. There wasn't time that didn't go by where he didn't do some type of miracle to provide for his people. And unfortunately, well, uh, you had the Father, and then of course you had led up to Jesus in the first century, and then when Jesus departed, he said, I send to you the Holy Spirit, and he will testify of me. So you have harmony between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, they had a very quick or short memory. Uh, every time a, a, a miracle was done, it wasn't long before they were complaining and grumbling and saying, God has put, brought us out here to die. Uh, so I think these markers were a good thing, especially for them. And even with us, even with the Holy Spirit, we can be as stubborn and forgetful when it comes to remembering God's goodness and remembering uh, our foolishness and not to do it again. Uh, so these markers could be something that we did that we could learn from or could be something that we learned from another person's life's lessons. My father always said to me, humans are the only animals stupid enough not to learn from their parents' mistakes. He told me that he did it with his father and I was doing the same thing. I was about, oh, in my teens or early 20s, and he was right. How much the wiser would I have been if I would have learned from my dad's mistakes growing up? But no, I had to make those mistakes myself just to see. I saw my dad get burned in that fire uh, and the foolishness, the things that he did. And of course, I, it's like you see someone get burned and the effects of the burning, but it's almost like you've got to put your hand in there just to see it for yourself. And that's how we are as human beings. So these markers are important. Verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whose stones, of whole stones, over which no man has welded, wielded any iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Peace offering was an offering that was not mandatory. It was voluntary. And what the peace offering did was it would express praise to God. There was a, a partaking of the offering between you and the priests and God. And it was, um, again, an expression of praise to God, an expression of really a relationship. So this is what they offered, this peace, this voluntary peace offering. And it's good because it's a picture of gratitude. They were really thankful what God had done for them. And that's very important in our lives, to be thankful. Part of your prayer, part of every prayer that you pray should be one of thankfulness. 
Because no matter how bad things you might think that they are, there's always something that you can be grateful for. Verse 32. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them, Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before, and they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the congregation of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. So what you see here is Israel renews the covenant. Why? Well, this is a picture of rededication and repentance, starting over and fresh. I think the real, the key word is re- repentance, which really, when you think of what repentance is, it is a starting over. So that's what you see mostly through this passage, a restored fellowship with God. And boy, if we can't take that personally, and see in our lives that picture of restoration, restored fellowship with God, we've really missed a vote on this portion of Scripture. Because just as, again, I said before, Israel had a national relationship, they had a repentance, they had restored fellowship. But if we look at our lives too, personally, we have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's the same thing with us. The Christian life is a series of messing up and repenting and having restored fellowship with God. And that's beautiful. And again, Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians 5. And he talks about, he flip-flops purposefully between the relationship between God and his people and and a man and his wife. And he shows the similarities there. It's the same thing in a marriage. You know, you are going to offend your spouse. You're going to hurt their feelings. You're going to say something stupid. But what do you do afterwards? You repent. And the right thing to do is whether you're doing the repentance or your spouse is doing the repentance is to forgive them of their sins as God has forgiven us and start all over again, have that restored fellowship. I truly think that the best marriages are ones that are completely modeled after how God's people are to be in a relationship with God himself. In our lives, we've been beat down many times, but God says, are you ready to try it again with me this time? And I think that the uh, title to this message, AI Take Two, really exemplifies that. You did it without me, now you're ready to do it with me. God says, I have a plan, but it'll take diligence and persistence and careful attention. But are you ready for that? God says, are you ready to aim that spear in the AIs of your life? What are those AIs? What battle are you fighting? Understand that without God, you're not going to win the battle, especially if you're his children. It may seem like it for a little while, but eventually he's going to reel you back in and he's going to show you that you left them far behind in the dust somewhere. Or will you be like the king, King Joash, who only shot a few arrows, and he and his people paid a dear price for that, uh, that, that foolishness, for not being diligent, for not you know, having that... Um, desire and and, and, 
you know, just heartfelt desire to, to be with God, to have that relationship and go with Him together in all the AIs of your life? And do you believe as an AI in total victory with God? Let's pray. He's going to show you that you, 